Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I am Warren. I am musically challenged. Thank you so much for turning your head away from the mic with that one. You're welcome. That, Actually, you did pretty good. Yeah, you did a good job there. Yeah. The the sound wave, I mean, only looks a little bit like an earthquake, but earthquake <laughs> is better than giant block of whale noise. I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> so. Ooh. <laughs> that was a baby whale. <laughs> that was a baby whale. Um, so, welcome. To your first ever Choreoporum Warren. Choreopoem Warren. Choreopoem Warren. Say that ten times fast. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, to answer uh, the Choreopoem thing, it is the term used to define works, like for colored girls, and was actually coined by this work's writer. I should mention that that's what we're covering today. Hey, ah, they listened to the last episode. They listened episode. to the last episode, right? Right? You did, right? This is going to be on the test. <gasps> Uh-oh. Kay's put on their teacher hat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, today we're going to be covering uh, your first choreo poem, and also probably the first proper choreo poem which is for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough Oof, that title is a mouthful and also yikes yeah it's we'll get into it we'll get into it and you'll see when we see the show um but the word choreo poem describes perfectly what this is um this is not going to be a straightforward play this is a collection of 20 poems about the experience of being an African-American woman, and this was all written by Entezake Shange. Um, the title of the choreo poem is going to be straight from her life. She was open throughout her life about her struggles with suicidal ideation and suicide attempts, and in her own words, she said, I was driving the number one highway in Northern California, and I was overcome by the appearance of two parallel rainbows. I had a feeling of near death or near catastrophe. Then I drove through the rainbow, and I went away. Then I put that together to form the title. The rainbow was enough. I thought it's when the rainbow is not enough. Is enough, yeah. Oh. Okay, I've misheard multiple times. No worries, baby. So, uh, the rainbow is going to be thematically woven through this choreo poem as well, with our seven women who are followed through these poems, and the characters of the ladies in red, blue, orange, green, yellow, purple, and brown. That's seven. Yes. <laughs> and these characters will tell their stories through poetic monologues, and it's written in a way to mimic the way people talk. The sentence structure and use of punctuation is used to emphasize the syncopation in speech, and it's written in a way that isn't standard for scripts. Okay. Um, I've got, actually, the script for it here, and you can see it's a little bit different from how it would be written because all of these are monologue poems so when they have the dash the 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 slash like what how do they treat that when they read it because you know there was no air slash the sheets made ripples under his body like crumpled paper napkins in the summer park slash and so it would it would be 
There was no air. The sheets made so, ripples so under a, his body like crumple, crumpled paper napkins in Summer Park and little specks of something from between his toes or the biscuits from the day before ran in the sweat that tucked in the sheet into his limbs like he was a, an old frozen bundle of chicken. So and, the, the slash is a beat. Yeah, the okay. slash is a beat. Um, and you'll, you'll see it with how it's performed when we watch it. Um, but yeah, it's it's very different because you you've seen how other scripts are laid out mm-hmm. that you've got. It, I've written one or two. Yes, and so it's it's very different from that, and that's oh that's just a taste of how experimental this show is. So a little bit on Entazake Shange before we go into preparing you more for this show. Other than she has an awesome name. She does, and we're going to get into her name. So she was born on October 18th, 1948, as Paulette Linda Williams, to Air Force surgeon Paul T. Williams, and to educator and psychiatric social worker Eloise Williams. So both parents, very uh, esteemed, very upper class in their own right. Uh, and I just realized that she's a lady junior, much like I am, and like me, changed her name later in life, but for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like she changed her life because she wanted to... Uh, I mean, this is just me speculating based mm. on her name, that she wanted to try and reclaim some of her African heritage. There's a little bit of that, yeah. And uh, when it, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. So... Until she was eight, she lived in Trenton, New Jersey. But at eight years old, her family moved to St. Louis, which was segregated. And then the Board versus Brown of Education uh, trial happened, and she became one of the kids to be bused to white schools, where she endured intense racism. Because being the only black kid in a white school is not fun. And it influenced her work very heavily. I can imagine. She was always interested in the arts, and her family had hosted the likes of W.B. Du Bois and Dizzy Gillespie when they lived in New Jersey. Uh, the busing when she lived in St. Louis was so that she could still receive her quote-unquote gifted education. And that tends to be the case. Like, my dad, half of the reason for me being in private school was because of other issues with family members but then the other reason for me being in private school was because he wanted me to have that gifted education and same as my mom and so I was in private school for a long time and was also the only black kid in a lot of my classes and that was not fun (laughs) it's it's I I feel so much for her Mm -hmm. I I sit here and go yeah same same At 13, she moves back to New Jersey and was able to graduate from high school there before going to Barnard College, where she met a future collaborator of hers, Tuolani Davis, and graduated cum laude in American Studies before attending University of Southern California for her master's. Behind this amazingness, however, is all the pain that she dealt with uh, in her first year of college. Uh, In her first year of college, she married David Murray, very briefly, and the separation and divorce drove her to attempt suicide several times. Uh, By 1971, however, she started to come back to herself, came to terms with the fact that I have depression, and came to terms with 
the alienation that she felt as a black woman in white society, so she changed her name to a Zulu name. And Tazake, meaning she who comes with her own things, and Shange, who walks like a lion. Nice. So, cool name. Yeah, powerful woman. Powerful. Uh, beginning in the 60s and 70s when she was in California, uh, Shange had exposure to the counterculture movements of the time. So, anti-war, uh, the rise of the... 60s and 70s feminism movements, black liberation movements, Puerto Rican liberation, uh, some of the black arts movements, all of these tentpole involvements, or all these tentpole movements were swirling around at the same time, which leads to a lot of experimentation in art. And boy, does she experiment. Again, to call for colored girls a play is probably inaccurate, and the term that she coined for it that we talked about above, a choreo poem, is definitely more accurate. Uh, she had written all of these poems and monologues in 1974, but they weren't publicly performed together until December of that year. And I suppose that the first performance in Berkeley's Bacchanal Women's Bar would be considered the first workshop performance for this. Uh, this performance was with Shange and four other performers, and much like the other workshops, would have had or would have the poems removed and others added in before it moves to New York. So, this is workshop like it's a play, and she moves to New York in 1975 with her choreography collaborator Paula Moss to develop the show for a New York run, with the idea being that it would be performed in some of the alternate performance spaces. And she's also working with another choreographer named Diana McIntyre at this time, who uh, works on some of the choreography for this as well. Um, in July of that year, performances of the newer version of For Colored Girls is uh, beginning at Studio Reveba, Old Reliable, Del Monte's, and then in March of 1976, it opens at the New Federal Theater. And the New Federal Theater will be an episode all on its own when I have the time to write it, because this is one of the most important black theater companies that still exists. And here's a plug real quick. Uh, if you can donate to them at newfederaltheater.com, because the arts have really been struggling this year, Please do, especially because back in 2016, their funding, along with a lot of other important black theater companies, got cut. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Please support them. Anyway, off of that soapbox. Huh. So, after the new federal theater performance, For Colored Girls got popular enough to move to the public theater in June of 1976. Then in September, it moves to the Booth Theater on Broadway, making this the second Broadway play to be written by a black woman. Yikes. First one was... Uh, and I did... Uh, you're quizzing me, and I know... Okay. Uh, uh, I have to, like, run through the shows that we've done. Uh, okay. I <sighs> <laughs> We've not posted the episode yet at the time of this recording. It's the next episode that's going up at the time of this recording. <sighs> okay. <laughs> you really liked it. 
I know. Sydney Poitier was in it. I know. <laughs> Lorraine Hainsbury. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Raisin Bran Crunch. Uh, a raisin in the sun. Yes. <laughs> God, I love you. I'm glad that you still love my white mediocreness. So, this production of For Colored Girls ran for 876 performances and then was adapted to TV in 1982. And we were almost going to do this version because I wanted to do this fully legally, not having to use bootlegs or any of the uh, community theater things that are uploaded on YouTube that are dubious legality. And then found out that it is not enough like the Coria poem for you to have a proper experience first experiencing for color girls so yeah. we'll do that one later after you've seen the original show it was also adapted to film by tyler perry in 2010 we'll probably watch that one later too but both versions are pretty sanitized and not it it's it fall into the same thing where it's like we have to we have to mild it down so that we don't make the white money feel too bad there's also a lot of stuff that's very brutal about the experiences with men in general no matter what race so so rape and abuse yeah it's this will tackle subjects that are pretty (sighs) heavy it it tackles the pain and the joy so it's it's a well it's a rounded experience but it's also the brutal honesty of being a black woman. Yeah. So, yeah, it will it will be very heavy. Um, we're going to be watching a community theater version that was put out instead. Um, so this show did win awards. Holy smokes, it won awards. It won the Obie. The Outer Critic, The Adelco, The Mademoiselle, it was nominated for a Tony and a Grammy, and it was revived in 1995 with some updates, including an update about the AIDS crisis and much more timely issues at the time. And uh, the costuming was kind of changed a little bit, too, because in the original, the women all wear very bold colors of their color, like Lady in Red, Lady in Green, etc., this they kind of muted the colors a little bit and the version that we're seeing the colors are uh symbolized with sarongs wrapped around their waist that are kind of bolder color i don't know what a sarong is but based on your movements is it like a type of sash yeah it's it's like a little sash and uh that's that's what the colors are going to be represented through and you'll see when we watch it after for colored girls and tazake shange continues to write and teach and be just absolutely amazing with more korea poems korea essays uh memoirs children's books poetry books and then in 2018 she leaves the world in her sleep on october 27th she had had several strokes but was still putting out work and when what year 2018 Okay. And she was born in the 40s? Yeah. 
Still, still, still early. Yeah, but... still early, but she had a very full life doing and stress will kill. Mm-hmm. And she was dealing with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Plus, you didn't go into her suicide attempt, so depending on what she did, she could have had health ramifications from that. Just yeah, I mean, she was in her seventies, but for current era, that is pretty. That's get. That's on the older side of young. <laughs> is in the 70s but um she she wouldn't get to see the revival of for colored girls at the public theater in 2019 but it did get performed again and it basically went back to its first off broadway home and that's the one that when we watched the antonios Mm-hmm. They showed clips of that had me just screaming, excited. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, For Colored Girls. Yeah, so huh, that is my introduction to you for For Colored Girls. Is there anything that you want to add or ask about before we go in? I don't know what to add that would be all ages friendly, and I don't have any questions because I just don't. All right, then let's... And I realized that what you are wearing is very mm-hmm. appropriate for, for colored girls. Yes, it, it is. Because it has a rainbow in it, plus other colors. Yes, it's it's my uh, equality... It, let's see, it's equal rights for others does not mean fewer rights for you. It's not pie. And it's it's got the full-on flag, it's a good which shirt. I like. It's good Include, and it's, it's the new one, too, with the black and the brown, which mm-hmm. I like, so... Yeah. As well as the... Uh, as well as uh, the trans, trans flag. flag. So, I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Anyway, let's go watch for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. Yay! <laughs> let's go. Hey, Warren. Hey, Kay. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to thank our Patreon sponsors? It is! Woo! We would like to thank our stage crew sponsors, Jeff, Reagan, and Jasmine Wu. And our producer circle sponsors, Jesse, Bianucci, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your continued support of our show. We truly appreciate it. Welcome to the So-Called Oreos podcast. A podcast where Kia, Amari, Rachel, and Janae discuss all the awkwardness, hardship, and hilarity that comes along with society labeling you white on the inside and black on the outside, also known as an Oreo. Trying to mind my business and be black, that's basically about it. Through intimate conversation and candid interviews, we discuss everything from quote-unquote talking white you talk the way which i guess is supposed to be like you talk proper and i usually think black people sound ghetto and uneducated that's yeah, how that's i perceive when you say too. you talk so what, white you, mean you don't speak cubanics traveling while black it opened my eyes to a lot of just the small privileges americans have and then it also opened my eyes to as a person of color how difficult it may be to go to another country. It was just a lot of blatant racism. Dating as a Black woman. There's just something about the Black woman who just really wants to support and see the Black man thrive. And even if I'm not in a relationship with a Black man, I'm still like... Gonna root for them. I'm still rooting for them. I'm always gonna root for them. I'm always. And a whole lot more. 
I just love being black. So join us every other Tuesday for intellectual and funny conversations that will make you embrace your inner Oreo. I'm going to light your shit on fire. That's I'm going to tell your mama. What's up? <laughs> what, 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 what if his Roberta, yo, son cheated on me. But you know some mama be like, well, that's what men do, so why are you so Exactly. You know? Old-timey bullshit. That is not, I ain't that, having that is it. not okay. And now, the lights are going down and the music's starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show. So, how did you feel about for colored girls who've considered suicide when the rainbow is enough? You know, uh, very surprised because there were no colored girls, no suicide, nothing uh, sad at all. It was a completely chipper and upbeat show about uh, how wonderful it is to be a middle class white girl in America. <laughs> so next episode, please. I, I didn't put this into the uh, review because I didn't want to spend too long uh, going into verifying it, but apparently <sighs> there was a version that a group of white women did. No. That just made it very white feminist and I just didn't have the energy <laughs> to be like, hold on. <laughs> What foolishness. I don't know why some people are very uncomfortable with the concept that some things are for certain people, because, like certain groups. Because like, a lot of people are the Burbs rights activist. I'm uncomfortable when it's yeah, not about I'm me. I'm uncomfortable when it's not about me. It's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... Uh, I know that we talked about it a little bit, but you have your own interpretations. Which I'm I'm not that particularly good with subtlety in uh, linguistics and, mm -hmm. and poetry and the arts like that. Um, I, unless I'm the one writing it, I tend to look at it in a very analytical way, like as straightforward as I can. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the the metaphor and the subtlety gets lost on me. Mm -hmm. Um Especially, I think, in this show when there is a lot of emotion and acting going into these poems that are being spoken relatively quickly, depending mm -hmm. on uh, the cadence of speech, you know, depending on the situation. Some of them yeah. talk a little bit slower because it's a more mellow situation and others it goes really fast because it's a uh, an emotional mm -hmm. and tense story that they're mm -hmm. telling. So... Uh, I will preface that with my, these notes don't have my normal jokingness in them because I was struggling just to yeah. pick out what they were saying. So I did my very best to try and understand what was being said, mm -hmm. but given that you've already read it and you know about it more than I do, mm -hmm. I will give my opinion of what they were saying and then you will give me the right version <laughs> of it and then we can talk about that. All right. Sounds good. <sighs> so this show is hard to take notes on, given that it's a series of poems spoken rather quickly, and Kay and I will be more talking about this show rather than me reading largely incomplete notes with an attempt at humor. 
The intro poem is by the lady in brown. If I'm interpreting it correctly, she seems to it seems to be about a woman speaking about feeling suffocated for not being able to be her true self, her black self, having to attempt to conform to the white norm of society that she was born into, but having had enough of that conformity and feeling empowered to express her true self, her black self. Mm-hmm. Now, how uh, how accurate would you say I was on that? You're you're pretty good on there. Pretty pretty good on there. Was sixty forty? A little bit more than that. Yeah, 70, 30. like 70, 30. Okay. Um, it's also, you know, you're seeing the different areas that all of these women are embodying. Detroit, Chicago, New York, uh, San Francisco, um, where was it? St. Louis and I think Louisiana. They do all seem to take place in areas that have a... Uh, a higher black population. Yes. And it's one of those things where I sit here and go, man, I I identify hard with some of this, but also don't have much of the community because it is um, mostly... It is, it is mostly people on the coasts, and I am in the Mountain West where we all know each other because there are very few of us. Because there's five. So one of the things that she talks about is that all I hear is screams and promises and just, it's, it's, it's sort of your beginning for, hey, this gonna be dark. <laughs> you know, it, it has its ups and downs yeah. over the course of the show. It definitely gets its darkest at the end, mm-hmm. I would say the the quote unquote eleven o'clock hour number, and then it it gets a little bit lighter as it as it ends. It gets hopeful. Yes, that's a good way to put it. And uh, the this poem ends with uh, this is for colored girls who have considered suicide, but moved to the ends of their own rainbows. Which and I actually did put that in comes up again at the end, and it's it's very who. And then they go into singing nursery rhymes from childhood. Oh, mm-hmm. mama's little baby love oh. shortening, shortening. Mama's little baby love shortening bread. That's right. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of it, it's sort of your prologue. Your this is what we're going to be laying out for you today, this evening. Yes, yes. But yeah, I I do sit here and go, man. I feel seen, but at the same time. Uh, it's lonely in Utah. I was going to say, you feel seen, but kind of forgotten. <laughs> oh, kind of, but like, I I try not to be as, come on, let, let our voices come out. Because it's like, well, there's not many of us. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a different, it's a, it's different, a different experience. Beast, yeah. Because yeah, like, without getting emotional. I feel very alone yeah. in the Mountain West. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. And it, yeah, because just thinking about that, it's from your perspective. It'd be the you have, I would say, even more of the having to be uh, complicit in white society mm-hmm. because it's you don't have as much of a community that you can rally around where yeah. you can yeah. you know 
be black without being afraid so yeah. to speak because you're you're it's very monochromatic here i mean mm-hmm. yes we have a lot of hispanics but at the same time there is also still there's a diff- it's a different it. culture yeah <laughs> it's not black yeah and uh i i mean i didn't have a strong sense of community until 2005 here i had because there was i can count on my hands how many black people i knew in utah that i was friends with that we all knew each other basically i can count on my hands that's because you did theater together right yeah and that's the only way i would have met them yeah because at school if like there were some other black students but they were about to graduate out of school out of elementary school they were about to go into junior high. So it's like, I can't talk to them. They're older kids. I have to be with all the little kids. Yeah, and usually older kids want nothing to do with little kids, like younger yeah, kids anyway. Yeah, and so it's 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 a very, <sighs> yeah, it's a different emotional beast, but. But there's still, there's still similarities. There's, there's enough similarities. And it's, yeah. if anything, I sit here and go, man, I wish I had had that around me during the times that I was having these issues. My mom tried. My dad sucked at helping. But my mom tried. (laughs) Alright, continue. Okay. The second poem is from a woman in yellow who talks about being a virgin on graduation night and how she was looking to not be a virgin by the end of graduation night. Uh, She was dancing with friends who were seeing her in a new light, as if they were seeing a woman for the very first time. And by the end of the night, she had lost her virginity in the back of a Buick and was very happy, all things considered. Mm -hmm. The woman in blue is up next, and she kind of gives the woman in yellow crap for giving it up in the back of a Buick. (laughs) But she talks about how she lives for music and dance, Latinx dance and music to be specific. She fantasized, she fancies herself an Afro-Latina, but one night when dancing, she got called out for being, for not being Latinx. She mm-hmm. says that she lost her temper, but she couldn't stay mad because she loved that music and loved the culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, she repeats, Te amo mas que. Yes. Which yes. I was not going to write down because I don't, I wasn't even sure if I was hearing it right. I love you more. I love you more than. I love you more than. And it's, that is a thing that I, because I'm not Afro-Latina, I am Afro-Italian, basically. So that's different animal altogether, like different different cultural things going on there. And with, I've learned more recently that there's a lot of strife with uh, Afro-Latino and Afro-Latina versus everyone else, because it's, it's, it's it's a thing that I can't speak to, but I can see that pain and anguish because, who knows, she could have been actually Afro-Latinx, but because she's dark-skinned, going to be outcast because that's how it always is. It's how it always is when you're darker than everyone else. You're going to be outcast. Yeah, it, just, it keeps rolling downhill and Discrimination it in already marginalized communities is something mm-hmm. that I just don't understand. I don't, I am just continually surprised that they don't all, all the 
minority groups don't just rally around the rally against the white man mm-hmm. and be like we're all in this together instead it's like well you have straight hair and you have curly hair and you're darker and you're lighter mm-hmm. and so they create these mm-hmm. hierarchies within themselves these arbitrary hierarchies within themselves where they still and who discriminate those onto them well true mm-hmm. like we talked about with yeah. the last episode yeah fair gets fair. pushed onto you you're exactly split yeah you're exactly correct keep the disenfranchised groups fighting amongst themselves and then they can't rally their own strength and band together Mm -hmm. but yes you were correct on that one too baby thanks people who look like me Uh, (laughs) the lady in red is up next and talks about how she deals with unrequited love and how she has given a lot to someone who does not give back but she's done she's ending this experiment this experiment to see that if she can give without receiving if she can give and give without receiving in return Uh, That if she would debase herself to be loved by another, she's ending this experiment with a note that was attached to a plant that she has been watering since the day she met this unspecified man, and that note says to F off. Mm -hmm. I kind of, uh, that one, I I like that, and I like the, I mean, I, I feel bad for this person who's talking about that they were in an abusive relationship, or at least a, uh, an emotionally distant relationship, Mm -hmm. that they kept trying to, to be with this person and the person was very aloof or not serious but yeah kind of thing and then i uh but the concept of like you start dating somebody and you get a plant Mm -hmm. and you water that plant for as long as you're together Mm -hmm. and then i don't know attach that note yep Mm. the woman in orange is up next and she talks about how she's a poet coming to share the world with you she wants to dance and be free to express herself but as she takes her friends in hand to dance and express, the joy gets cut abrupt. So that uh, some of these notes are definitely shorter than others, even if they're they kind of go the same length. Yeah. So please jump in mm-hmm. and expand on it if I don't say enough. No, you're pretty you're pretty close on that one because it gets cut off by the next one. Ladies, red, blue, and purple all have suffered a sexual assault at the hands of people who they thought were friends, who talked nice and took them out, but then forced themselves upon them. Mm -hmm. The strangers that they feared would hurt them in a dark alley turned out to be the people who they thought they could trust. The circles that they frequent for comfort and companionship have now become places of danger where they may find a stranger. Mm -hmm. Where they may... Sorry, where a friend is a stranger. Mm -hmm. I read that wrong. And this... This topic is one that i'm a little bit more familiar of just with uh friends that i've had who, mm-hmm. uh, uh and it's really nefarious and insidious on part of the guys in these situations because mm-hmm. there there is such a thing as a purely platonic friendship with someone of the opposite sex Mm -hmm. like you can be a guy can be friends with women women can be friends with guys but there has to you know at least be some understanding to a certain extent and it sounds like in these situations these were really nefarious guys who kind of plotted Mm -hmm. and and looked for an opportunity and Mm-hmm. basically it, it seems like it boiled down to well i've done these things for you what have you done for me mm-hmm. and even if the women say no it was i'm bigger i'm stronger i can yeah it's it's the myth of the friend zone it's it's what it's the whole 
oh, I got friend-zoned. It's that whole, I'm entitled to this woman's body that these men had that okay. tends to cause that. Because at least that's what I've noticed from people who talk about these situations that the guy felt entitled to her because she was nice, because she was his friend. That's... Because... And, and it, it was it was people not... It, I don't know fully what causes that. I don't... Because I can't put myself there. I don't either. Um, <laughs> but, from, but my understanding when it comes to friend zone stuff is it's usually a term applied to men who were trying to get with a girl and that girl was not interested mm. kind of thing. And so it's basically like, well, I'm not interested in you romantically, but we can be friends. Yeah. Kind of thing. And it's when it comes to that point, it's really up to the guy to decide, am I mature enough to mm -hmm. put my attraction aside and be friends with this person? Mm. Or am I only interested in them in a romantic sense? And, you know, either, mm -hmm. either I can't handle being their friend and watching them date somebody or I'm only interested in them for this thing. So, because mm -hmm. that's the thing is like any guy who's friends with a woman, if you're friends with a woman thinking, oh, someday she'll see me romantically, yeah. you're not being a friend mm -mm. and you're being a creep. Yeah. It, that, that, that's, that's more creep. Like mm -hmm. I mean, there, I mean, cause you know, just to, sorry, this is going into a, a complete tangent, but you know, I've had personal experiences where I was attracted to somebody but they didn't reciprocate that. And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, we can be friends. And I had to kind of go, you know, I don't know if we can because mm -hmm. I have an attraction for you. And I don't think I can separate that kind yeah. of thing. It's like, so, you know, it's like we, we can still be friendly, but I, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think we're going to be able to be friends. Yeah. Kind of thing. And then you just you can still be nice to the person, but you're just because you're attracted to somebody does not mean you are entitled to that person. Yeah. And that goes for both, you know, both men, men and, and women. women. Uh, it's just the heart wants what the heart wants. Mm -hmm. If the heart do what doesn't want somebody, you got to be respectful of that. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like that with consent these... Consent is important. Yeah, consent is, is the number one thing. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like with these guys, if I had to guess, especially given that it was written um, kind of in a different era, mm -hmm. it almost seems like it's hearkening to the oh you're just playing hard to get mm -hmm. oh no me no means yes kind uh -huh. of thing that 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 type of uh yeah bs yeah which it, which people still think is which people it's kind of a holdover and yeah you you get into these really really unfortunate situations where you get crappy people on both the male and female sides who mm -hmm. don't exactly help their own cause mm -hmm. uh, because they're I, I've personally known women as friends who if they're in their words I like making a guy work for it mm -hmm. kind of thing and that's the whole no means yes kind of things like no but for them it's not no means not right now mm -hmm. kind of thing and and that does a disservice to other women who are like, no, no means no. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, and yeah. Mm -hmm. it's and all I think I know exactly who you were talking <laughs> about too. Maybe. And then the other thing too is uh, there's kind of the flip side to that where like if a, if a guy is mean to a girl and then they go home and they tell their parents, oh, well, he probably likes you. And that's, mm -hmm. teaching, that's teaching girls that if a boy is mean to you, they probably like you. Yeah. Which 
I was a crappy kid at one point in time, and I remember being in elementary school being a little... That's why I've told you sometimes that it's good that we met when we did, because uh-huh. if we'd gone to elementary school, I might have been a little turd to you because uh-huh. I would have liked you, and I'd been like, kick her in the butt or something, because yeah. I don't know how to... Underst- I don't know how, I don't to, know how to understand and express these feelings mm-hmm. that I have, so push you down or something, you yeah. know, because I was a dumb kid. Yeah. And, but at the same time, those are childlike emotions and should mm-hmm. not be carried over into adulthood. Maturity. Yeah. Mm-mm. Like, you know, <laughs> we have to grow and change as we, mm-hmm. well, yeah, we have to grow and change as we grow and change. Yes. Anyways, that little Warren Tangent soapbox aside. The woman in blue returns and is on the floor, knees folded and arms around herself. (sighs) She recounts the pain of being sexually assaulted and becoming pregnant as a result. She feels ashamed of this. She feels the eyes of everyone seeing her as if they know what had happened and knows that she became pregnant as a result of it. But then she says that no one came to her aid because no one knew. And... When we were watching this, Kay told me that that scene is about abortion. Yes, that that poem is titled "The Abortions or Abortion Cycle Number One," which it's it's that that one. There's a lot to unpack in it because you got this this woman who has been violated, mm-hmm. and she feels like everyone knows. Everyone knows yeah. what has happened to her. Everybody is judging her you know, Mm -hmm. for what has happened. And so she goes and she gets an abortion and then she doesn't have anybody comforting her because it turns out that people didn't know what had happened to her, that she was, she was carrying this burden, uh, anonymously, you know, in secret. Mm -hmm. And that she, you know, didn't tell anyone that she's pregnant, didn't tell anyone about it. So then she didn't tell anyone that she's going to get an abortion. And, Huh, it's it's why and this is going to border a little bit but I think it's important to say it's why it's important that we destigmatize that because yeah people need to be allowed to make choices because you don't know why a person can't carry a baby to term you don't know and it's a deeply personal thing it's deeply private you it it shouldn't need you shouldn't need to justify that to anyone especially like because so many times you're picking open sores if you're telling people why Mm -hmm. whether or not it was because of rape whether or not it's because i can't afford this whether or not it's because the baby's gonna die or it's between me or the baby you shouldn't have to tell anybody, ever. But this, it's personal choice. But at the same time, this woman, she also, because she wasn't telling anybody, she mm-hmm. also was very upset because she didn't have anybody to comfort her Well, as and a result of it. The not telling anybody is because of that stigma. Because of the shame, too. Be, yeah, because it would be like, you, you have that stigma of, oh, you're bad, you're dirty, you're wrong for having to do this. And yeah. she didn't want people you're a whore yeah. is what it always yeah. comes into. And if, if you can't, if you've got that stigma, you're not going to tell anybody when you need them to be with you. And that's, I think, where a lot of this comes in, where it's like, you've, you've got to destigmatize it so that people can talk 
and that, you know, you can have someone there to hold your hand as you're going through this. Because it's, it, it, yeah, it's, that one is, whew, that one's a knife to the heart, that one is. <sighs> yeah, and the one before it, too. And yeah. Several ones after. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. The woman in purple takes stage next. She talks about a woman, a dancer, in a lo- in a uh, nice locale. It might be Mardi Gras, I'm not sure. She seems to be a dancer in a men's club, perhaps? Uh, they- for the Creole Carnival celebration. Okay, so, so, is that Mardi? That's not Mardi Gras. Yeah, that's it is Mardi Gras. Okay. It's, it's, uh, the parade that goes down. And they call her Cheetah. Sachita. Oh. Sachita? Yes, Sachita. Okay. Then, I guess I don't... Because that she's talking about how her skin was speckled with grime. Mm-hmm. So I just... I was hearing cheetah, I guess, like spots? No. So I don't know what Sachita is. Um, so they're talking about that she's a Egyptian goddess of creativity, love, beauty, and then filth. And so it's it's sort of this um, she's she's this celebration of creativity, but there's also the grime from the world around her that and that that kind of taints that creativity. Yeah, taints that beauty. the creativity, taints the beauty um, that that seeks to destroy it, that seeks to make it ugly and. Okay, because I, I must have really misinterpreted that whole thing then, because but she does say that she wants, because of the, the grime, she wants to go home to St. Louis, but she can't. Mm-hmm. And she danced and danced for the men trying to invoke their desire, but received only coins hurled at her. Like, mm-hmm. the way I interpreted that, I thought that maybe she was a stripper, and it mm. was a thing of, like, she's selling the image of her body in order to make money so that she can get out of there yeah no she's a she's a carnival dancer on the bayou but needs to get herself back home but can't and she wants that love from showing her creativity but she's not getting what she wants in return she's just getting you know she's well, getting saying, treated like well, a saying, stripper yeah and they're saying they, they're hurling yeah, coins at her yeah and that's um it's yeah, it's it's a that one's a little bit more complicated. It's also kind of being like a this is this person's life story. Yeah, because and you have the the woman in you have the woman uh telling the story and then you have another woman dancing yeah, it. The woman in green comes out and dances as Sachita. And most of these stories it's usually one of the women on stage, mm-hmm. you know, being this being the the uh, uh focal point of yeah. the, of the poem of the story being told. On occasion, they have more than one mm-hmm. on stage, but most of the time, it's, it is just the one. It's just the one. The woman in brown takes stage again, talking about being in St. Louis, a school. I think she says how the young kids, the young kids' room is full of children's book and how children's books, and how she goes to the adult room and finds more mature books that invoke inspiration in her stories about black revolution and triumph over subjugation and it's talking about the uh the overthrowing of mm-hmm. the, the slavers yeah in, with Toussaint. In Haiti. yeah with mm-hmm. Toussaint. 
And uh, she talks about how she ran away from home, but in 1955, it was not a good time for little black girls. She talks about walking down the streets of North St. Louis, where she was getting harassed by a boy who says his name is Toussaint Jones, Mm -hmm. who invites her to go down to the dock and look at boats. She realizes that this Toussaint Jones isn't too different from the Toussaint of Haiti, and she admires that she admires so, and she decides that Toussaint Jones is all right for her. But then she screams as the scene grows dark, implying that something bad happened to her at the hands of Toussaint Jones. It the way I interpreted that is that this boy lured her down to the docks and then assaulted her. Yeah, and I don't know if that I don't know what that transition really means because i know that this in in hindsight uh the story that particular one it seems like it's about this young girl who's probably eight. Oh, she is eight mm, she's eight? a she's a kid, kid. okay because i was gonna say elementary school age mm-hmm. but i wasn't she's yeah so eight-year-old who is probably a little advanced for her age mm-hmm. and so she's not she doesn't want the kid books she wants yeah. the adult books and yeah. she reads these books that have much more complex and 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 mm-hmm. adult themes and it makes her want to leave her life and mm-hmm. go to haiti yeah she wants to go to haiti where it's she she kind of seems to view haiti as this black wonderland yes and that's kind of her plan she's running away from home she wants to take a boat and she wants to go to haiti mm-hmm. but then she gets when she's wandering around she gets stopped by this boy mm-hmm. who is is kind of harassing her and hey girl Hey, girl, come here. Hey, girl. Mm-hmm. And then she's, you know, inquiring, who are you? I'm Tucson Jones. Yeah. And part of it, too, uh, she talks about before she runs away that she enters into a reading competition to read the most books. Yeah. And, and she wins. She wins, but then gets disqualified because she wasn't reading kids books. Yeah, she wasn't reading the approved reading books mm-hmm. for her age group. She mm-hmm. was reading, which I'm looking at that going, huh? she's reading more advanced yeah. books. Doesn't yeah. that give her double credit per book? Mm-hmm. Luckily that, I, I, I identified with her, but luckily didn't have that happen to mm. me when I was reading books. It was more of like... Are you really reading all these books? Yes, because I have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> I see, have no friends and we don't have cable. See, there we go. If you and I would have been friends when we were kids, you would have been dragged down to my level. <laughs> or I would have been reading your books and been like, okay, we're reading. Oh, maybe. <laughs> the Lady in Red returns, talking about a woman in Los Angeles who was on the prowl. She shows her legs, her stomach, her, she yearns to be held, to be in a room, to be a room for every man who caught her eye, to bend her, to blend her body and spirit with theirs. She talks about rising at 4 a.m. to bathe and rinse away the rhinestones and perfume. She then tells the man who shared her bed that she, that he needs to go. She talks about how this is her conquest. After kicking the men out who share her bed, she documents the encounter in her diary before shedding tears. This seems to be a tale of someone who finds justification of self by using their body to entice men and to feel wanted, Mm -hmm. but then achieves power by then telling said men to leave, perhaps before they could leave her and hurt her. She maintains that sense of control, Mm -hmm. even though she's hurting herself. So I'm not sure if you would disagree with my interpretation not of that. at all that that and, seems pretty and this this one is especially unfortunate because i have had friends 
like I, I, I there I, there I know I've told you about someone that I knew when I was in high school who was I would say overly promiscuous for someone of that mm-hmm. a of that age group. Yeah, um, like I don't I don't want to you know quote unquote slut, slut shame or anything like that. Like people are gonna do what they do kind of thing. But this particular person very much mm-hmm. seemed like their their sense of justification was whether or not people wanted them in a sexual way and it is you know there i don't there is there is an argument to be made for de-stigmatizing um sex Mm -hmm. but at the same time uh it can still be a form of self-abuse if yeah. you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You know? uh, and of course, those reasons are open to interpretation because mm-hmm. it's on an individual basis. Yeah. What, what feels right to you. Yeah. And with this person, uh, I would have to guess that they come from an abusive background and they are mm-hmm. just reliving that abuse in an attempt to mm-hmm. feel in a sense of control kind of yeah. thing rather than have somebody do it to them they're the one doing it mm-hmm. so as long as they're the one doing it and then kicking men out they yeah. maintain that sense of control even though they are hurting themselves yes yes huh. <laughs> yeah this show's dark it can it can get pretty dark yeah there are some upbeat moments but whew. they definitely don't envy the life that women live mm-hmm. all the women return blue speaks while the others lounge she talks about how her world has changed and her universe is only six blocks she gets harassed by men when she takes walks she talks about how she fears running into men at night but men who want to feel powerful make her feel powerless she used to live in the world really lived in it but now she can't she can't be nice she can't smile in the street it's a setup but then she moved to Harlem, six blocks of cruelty piled up on itself. Mm-hmm. So that one, I don't really know more about it other than it sounds like this is somebody who moved from one place to another and where they moved is not a safe place. Mm-hmm. And probably she grew up a bit sheltered because it's and I I understand that because I grew up a little a little bit sheltered because that's. Utah. Utah is a sheltered place. Even downtown Salt Lake is nothing like downtown literally anywhere else because downtown Salt Lake is just, it's at least in the 90s, it was Mormonville still. And it's it's very, when you have your eye-opening moments, you have your, I can't leave the house without having the Wolverine Claws as my key or have my keys in the wolverine claw set up i can't leave my house without this i can't go any further and we we all i I feel like that is definitely an experience that every woman hits at some point um that they have something happen where they realize how not safe it is to be a woman in the world and it's that's kind of what that poem feels like to me is that it's she had had these i could travel wherever i could do whatever and then i moved here and realized how cruel the world really can be and now my world is limited to six blocks and the way that they end that one is especially kind of harsh because as she's talking about how her 
her universe is just six blocks of cruelty piled on. All the other girls are circled around her, and they just start kind of closing in on her, implying that they're, Mm -hmm. you know, danger. Yep. Yep. (sighs) Ladies, blue, purple, and yellow take the stage, with purple leading the poem talking about a man who plays games with the, with a group of friends, going to one who loves him while trying to get with her friends. One day, the one who loves him found the same rose from her lover, but left with her friend. The friends fight over the man, and the friendship breaks up, resulting in the woman taking her own life out of grief. Did I misinterpret that? The ending you did, yes. I did, because so... there, there was the, the, the beep, beep. Oh, that was just sort of a thing leading to the heartbreak of the next one. Oh. So what the what the three women do is they go to confront the guy, and he's with yet another woman. And so then they're just like, you know what? Let's comfort each other because men are stupid. Oh, I hate men. Okay. And then it goes straight into uh, No More Love Poems number one, which is the next poem talking all about heartbreak. And hi, Stephen. Oh, our mostly silent fourth co-host has jumped into Kay's yeah. lap and well, is demanding guest, love and affection. Guest host. He is guest he host. is not a co-host because he is a guest on the show. Because he is not our cat. This is true. <laughs> it's like, baby, I can be your cat. You're the only one for me, Kay. But, so I, I, I really misinterpreted that last one. Um, no worries. Because at the same time, it made sense to me, given that mm-hmm. a lot of times... Um, women are more likely to attempt suicide over a broken relationship than men are. Yeah. And that's kind of what it seemed like to me, is this woman who loved this guy who was a cheating dog and Mm -hmm. cheating on her with her friends, you know, and then she goes to confront her friends over it, and and there were the friends saying, oh, I need him. He's good to Mm -hmm. me. I need this. Yeah. And then, okay, but then it sounds like they go to confront him, and he's with yet yet another another girl. And so that's... And that's one of the things that I'm sitting here like, man, I never had that sort of solidarity growing up. Like, I never had a sisterhood growing up. But then again, I think I had a bit of a target on my back for being uh, non... for not being neurotypical, for being black, for being... uh, because I've always been non-binary, it's just I didn't have a word for what I was until recently, and so I feel like that is sort of what shut me out of the sisterhoods, except for that I never really noticed one here, because, I don't know, I don't mean to say that, I don't mean to generalize white girls, but white girls are vicious. Yeah, I would yeah, agree. Like, <laughs> I, I don't mean to generalize, but mm, I mean, I, I, I never felt like I was actually friends with most of the white girls that I went to school with. Because, you know, it reminds me of, I can't remember what comedian it was talking about how <laughs> girls are so much worse than men, because if you have a conflict with a man, he'll beat you up. But then the conflict is over. If you have a conflict with a woman, she will attempt to destroy every aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Until she's satisfied that you've suffered enough. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's it's one of those things that, like, that end moment where the three girls come together in a hug, I'm like, I never felt that growing up with other girls, like, Again, it wasn't until I had more of a community 
thanks to theater, uh, thanks to when Hale started doing black shows, I I didn't feel like that sense of community until that point. So it's, huh, for colored girls, hits different in the Mountain West. <laughs> Yeah, it's... At least if you grew up in the Mountain West before more black people started living in Utah. Because now it's probably a little... It's a tiny bit easier. Because there are more. Mm, Tiny bit easier. And Latte is now jealous that Steven is getting loves. Yep. Because for feral animals, there is never enough. Not nope. enough love, not enough food. Nope. And we've got two feral animals here. <sighs> we adopt the wild ones. Mm-hmm. The woman in orange takes scene next and talks about how she doesn't try to put other women down. She tries to be above it all. She wants to live for the music that drives away all that in the world that she doesn't like. And the guy that she likes, she loves, goes back and forth between her and other women, putting her at the bottom, putting her heart at the bottom of his shoe over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that one, I do feel like I missed something towards the end, but it just seems like it's another talk about unrequited, or not necessarily unrequited love, but being um, cheated on, being unfaithful to, mm-hmm. and and because it, it almost seems like this this poem is about trying to find things for escapism to help take the pain away yeah and that pain being a unfaithful partner who's constantly going back and forth between different Mm -hmm. and she she also talks about you know people will call uh will call black women uh nags or evil or stuff and she tries really hard not to be that that way. way Because, you know, it's what society keeps telling her she should, she would be. And that's, that's what we expect of you. And so she's like, oh, well, I can't do that. And so she's letting this man walk all over her. And the uh, poem has the line of, I can't stand being sorry and colored at the same time. It's so redundant in the modern world. And it's just like, oh, oh, I, mm." and I guess I feel that. I guess I interpret that as, is it's redundant because they feel like they have to apologize for being colored Mm -hmm. and as if, as if being born the way that they were is already uh, Mm -hmm. a crime in the society. Yeah. So being sorry on top of that is redundant. Mm -hmm. (sighs) The girls rotate and purple takes stage talking about pain and how she tries. Oh, Uh, no, this is the same one. Sorry. This, Purple Girl uh, takes stage and talks about pain and how she tries to dance the pain away. She talks about her inner pain and how she feels like she is a lily dying in the desert and how she couldn't be who she was, couldn't be her real self, even though she wants to be. Mm-hmm. And that is another one that um, seems to hearken to uh, when she talks about her inner pain and feeling like a lily in the desert. It kind of sounds like depression. Yeah. That she's... That she's depressed because she feels like she has to be somebody else to be accepted yes and that she's lying to herself and that's causing her internal pain yes and it leads perfectly into the next one that and these are all called no more love poems and then there's one two three and four so i guess this would be love poem no more love poems three yes no love no more love poems number three 
The girls rotate and blue take stage, saying that they deal with emotion too much. So let's be white, complete with our valley girl voice. They're talking, <laughs> they're right in the middle of white anyways. Let's abandon what it is that makes them them and be white. Let's think about, let's think our way out of our feelings. She just wants to be loved, but doesn't know how to say it or who to say it to. And that's yet another one of the, I can't be myself. Mm -hmm. I have to try and fit in, mm -hmm. but trying to fit in doesn't work because I'm still me. I still look different. I still yeah. talk different. And that one hit me the most out of all of them because I'm like, yep, same same and i would say that one that you just want to be loved and you don't know who to say it to that one is it seems like it's compounded because of relationship issues with parental figures mm -hmm. kind of thing and that that damage that was done at an early age well and and also just the i may as well just be white i may as well try to fit in that way because that's all i'm surrounded by anyway and mm -hmm. then oh but i can't i can't because I am a passionate person. I am an emotional person. I can't not show that. I can't stick to what society wants me to do. And so it's it's one that, because when I was growing up, it was always, oh, you're too emotional. And it's like, well, I have to show how I feel. Which the <laughs> other thing about that, I've, I've, I mean, I've known plenty of, of, of white girls in my life who were mm -hmm. very outbursty and very emotional but that seems to be something that's only said to women of color yep as in you know oh well you got to be quiet you know let the the let the white girls be emotional and irate i mean yeah how many times have we seen videos of of somebody screaming in a cop's face but they don't mm -hmm. get put into the ground because they're you mm -hmm. know of less melanin uh the girls rotate again and yellow comes up she's lost it she's lost it touch the the reality she doesn't know who's doing it she thought she was but it's she but it uh must be someone else how is she alive how is her dependence on others for love her dance was not enough her love is too delicate to be thrown back in her face mm -hmm. and i think that's the last of the the love yeah because then it leads right into my love is too the rest of the women come forward and all talk about how their love is x to be thrown back in their face their love is too delicate their love is too sacred their love is too magical their love mm -hmm. is too complicated mm -hmm. to be thrown back in their face. Each one has a different thing to say. Mm -hmm. And I put down the four that I... That you got. That I could, <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, too sanctified. Too Saturday night. Too music to be thrown back in my face. I love that poem. I love it so much. It's a good one. Mm -hmm. And I like it because it, it, it kind of seems like it's a I've had enough mm -hmm. poem. You know, I'm not going to take it anymore i'm not yeah. going to yeah be oh i'm not gonna suffer fools chills. anymore chills with that one because i tell you that's that's one of those ones that i i would like to have like printed out in just a nice reminder to myself of like you know because i i sit there because it's not just like love in a relationship it's love of family it's love of everything that my my love of a family member is too magic for you to throw it back in my face. My love of something I'm passionate about is too beautiful to be thrown back in my face. Like don't. Uh. I like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. you 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 and you took it in a in a uh, 
deeper, more philosophical way than I was looking at it at just face value and mm-hmm. just emotional, um, romantic love. Because mm-hmm. they they bring it up a couple of times in this that the love of family too is a thing that uh, they bring it up with the with the last poem that you know the laying on of hands doesn't need to just be from a partner or from your mother you need you need a bond to hold you and that's i i feel well we'll get into that one we'll get into that one when we get to it lady green takes stage and talks about how someone tried to walk away with all her stuff Mm. like a kleptomaniac Mm. she needs her things to ooh and awe about she seems to be talking about how the things being taken are not material. They're metaphorical. Mm-hmm. She's saying these things are aspects of her, mm-hmm. her memories, her hips, her legs, her attitude. She wants what is hers and no one can take them unless she lets them. Mm-hmm. It was it was uh, it was a man's e- it was a man and his ego who thought he could take what he wanted from her and change her. Mm-hmm. But these things are hers. Find your own things and leave this package for me and for her and her destiny. Mm-hmm. And that one I liked because that kind of harkened back to the uh, uh, trying to change for somebody or be changed mm-hmm. by somebody. Mm-hmm. And this lady is just like, no, these are my things, mm-hmm. you know, but they're not things. They're aspects. You yeah. Know? This is me. This is who I am. These are my legs. This is my mm-hmm. my hair. These are my hips. Like yes, that one also hits me hard, because I mean, you and I have talked about what well, my past has been. Well, I mean, a, a, so much of this, so, so much of this is a checklist for for stuff that you've had to deal with. Yeah, the whole, yeah. Well, the girls, all the other girls, have straight hair, so I will straighten my hair so mm-hmm. I fit in because I get teased for having curly, mm-hmm. poofy hair. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this one. I will be ashamed of my butt, even though yeah. there are women out there who pay doctors to cut mm-hmm. open their butts and put implants in yeah. them. Yeah, I will be ashamed of my emotions when this girl can have an emotional outburst and everyone goes, Oh, oh I'm so sorry, you poor thing. And for me, it's like, stop being so emotional. Yeah. Like, mm-mm, mm-mm. But this one, because of past relationships plus my own experiences with my dad, having to change who I was, take out everything that made me me. Getting it thinking that if you were a different way he would yeah. want to be around more. Yeah, and so it's that one, it's like, yeah, no, I'm taking it back. I'm taking back me. Taking back K. I'm not giving away K. I've got K. K is mine. <laughs> See it but again, and I mentioned this before, you've helped me flourish and get those things back. Is that because... Am I like fertilizer because I'm full of crap? <laughs> and I've helped you grow and prosper? <laughs> I was going to say like sunlight, but... <laughs> Plants do not grow on sunlight alone. Ah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I'm glad I could bring some levity. I love you. I love you. The ladies start to hop up one by one to talk about men and their excuses. I'm sorry. I was high. I'm only human. I'm sorry. I only do you like I do because I thought you could take it. Mm. The women all compare notes on how one thing they don't need is are any more apologies. No longer will they let a man collect their tears to wash their car with, which I, I mm-hmm. like that, that line. So what are they going to do? 
leave a message by the phone, tell them to call somebody else. They're going to be happy and do what they want to do. They will not be nice. They will they will raise their voice. They will tell all those secrets about you to your face. Mm-hmm. And they will be sorry for none of their lovers. Instead of saying you instead of saying you sorry, instead of saying you're sorry, I spelled that wrong, admit that you're a mean, low life, low down, among other things. Mm-hmm. So I, I I really like that because, you know, anybody who's been in a series of abusive relationships mm-hmm. um, or, or at least been uh, at least had a had a partner who has mm-hmm. done terrible things, but they're always like, oh, I'm sorry, I've changed. I won't mm-hmm. do that again kind of thing. And they're just collecting apologies type yeah. of thing. Yeah. I like this because it's like, no, instead of telling me you're sorry, how about you admit that you're a piece of crap? Mm-hmm. And that's why you're doing these. That's why you're needing to apologize because mm-hmm. you're breaking your promises and yep. other things. And uh, after this one in 1995, uh, there was a poem added in called Positive. And this was the one about HIV. But this production that we saw did not put it in. And I figured that uh, the emotions that you were having, especially with the next one, was enough to be like, uh, he doesn't need to see that one right now. But yeah, it's, it's, huh. that I, I do like though that she did put in that poem in 95 because it's still such a stigma in the black community and in every community that if you're diagnosed with AIDS, you're, you're done, you're gone. No, no love for you. And it's like, no, you still need to show compassion for folks who have it. And she, uh, in the poem, brings up that it was, you know, she she is pretty sure that she got it from her partner, who then blames her and says that she's the one who gave it to him, even though she's been faithful. And it's one of those like, who, yeah, who, and it's it. And this was written. when that poem was written when AIDS was much more of a death sentence in the U.S. Yeah. Than it is now. Now, I mean, basically, it is a slow killer now. Yeah, it is a slow killer now. With the drugs and treatments that they have, Mm. rather than a verified death sentence. Like, if you have AIDS now, you still can live for decades and decades Mm -hmm. if if you can afford to take medication. Yeah. But it's, it's... still a stigma yeah and it's it's one that uh really people need to because I'm, I'm gonna try not to soapbox too much but when uh we went to zambia uh it was it was a much harsher reality with that because when we were there the person that we stayed with like two weeks later got diagnosed with hiv Oof. and it was so it was such a shock because, um, you know, it's it's like if you're in an area where that's gone through the entire population, it's more of a matter of time. And but these people still get stigmatized after. And if you've got if you're positive, you should be getting love. You should be getting support. You should be. It's it's uh, it, it makes me really upset and it's it's part of the I, I think because it's sexually transmitted it's an easier thing to stigmatize, stigmatize yeah because like you don't stigmatize people for getting brain cancer no you don't stigma stigmatize people for getting uh 
<laughs> you do a little bit for lung cancer, which I have a friend who died of lung cancer and never smoked a day in her life. So, mm. um, but like things that are transmitted sexually or that are more predisposed to people with weight issues tend to be stigmatized more. You did it to yourself. Yeah. And I hate yeah. that. I hate that so much. And so, yeah, the the positive poem, I almost looked it up for you. And then I saw how you reacted to the next one. And I was like, no. Well, you gave me a pretty good recap of it. So Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's basically... Uh, yeah, it's it's just it's it's a hurdy poem. It's hurdy, as opposed to the other, as opposed to this as, next one, which is so. The next one is extremely hurdy. This next one is so chipper and full of sunshine. <sighs> <laughs> Lady Red comes on to say that uh, there is no heir. She talks about a low life man who was abusive to his lady. This man blamed others for his problems that he caused to himself. And when this woman got a restraining order against him for all of his abuse to her and his children, and now this man comes back to attack his ex, beat her with a chair, and mm. beat her with a high chair that still had her infant son in it. Mm. He almost killed her and her son. The man is delusional, thinking that he can get, back, uh, get her to take him back, mm. even after all the abuse. The man breaks down the door, even while the woman screams for him to leave, while she holds her children close. The woman screams for the man, see, the woman screams for the man to leave, and when he does, the daughter chases after him, saying, don't leave, stay, but be nice to mommy. The woman watches as the man plays with his daughter, saying that he can be a good father, and to let him hold his son. When the woman does, the man threatens to kill the children if she doesn't marry him. Mm. The woman says that she will marry him if he gives her back her children, but the man, even with the woman's promise, drops the children out the window and kills them. Yeah, and... And I know there was stuff that I missed because he was saying, like, because every, the, you know, the whole block was watching this go on as he's hanging these children out the window he's saying say that you'll marry me in front of the neighbors you know say it in front of everyone that you'll marry me yeah i've i've got the last line of the poem because this is the one that's printed in black theater usa he kicked the screen out of the window and held the kids off of the still off of the sill you gonna marry me yeah i'll marry you anything but bring the children back in the house he looked from where the kids were hanging from the fifth story at all the people screaming at him, and he started sweating again. Say to all the neighbors, you're going to marry me. I stood by Bo in the window with Naomi reaching for me and Kwame screaming, mommy, mommy, from the fifth story. But I could only whisper, and he dropped him. And that's how that poem ends. Yep. Anybody who does that should be drawn and quartered slowly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And things like that do happen. I mean, it, it happens not in... It, it happens in every race. I'm thinking of somebody who decided that if he couldn't have his kids, then nobody else could. That was high profile here in Utah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, yeah, yep. It's it's, uh, it's terrifying. It's horrible. 
Um, and I will say the name of the guy just so that you are prepared for the reference to him in uh, the Colored Museum. His name is Bo Willie Brown. So that way you have that in your mind for when we do Colored Museum, because they do reference him specifically in... Do they drop him out of a window? I'm not going to give you away anything, but... I, I mean, hope it's they, I satire. Hope they, I so. hope they drop him out of a window. That would be fair <laughs> justice. Five stories high. Oh, no, no, no. That was five stories for children. He gets ten stories high. <laughs> I want him to have a little extra time to think before mm-hmm. he hits the pavement. But yeah, that one... Oof, that, And I kind of sit here and go, I can see why for TV they may have sanitized this show but at the same time yeah I I don't think that it would have made it past the censors nope no so no yeah but at the same time I'm kind of like oh it's art <laughs> we get to see other art stuff let us see this yeah people need to know people need to uh it at the very least, people need to know that they're not alone with these poems because you you have no exposure to these poems and you have because these are all experiences that women have had that Mm -hmm. women have and if you don't know that other people are having that experience you're lonely you don't know and i don't know i let's go on to the next one before i get emotional (laughs) So this is the last one. Red says that she was missing something, and all the women come on stage to say that they were each missing missing something. The woman in red says that she was in pain, screaming. She was missing her reason to live. I think she says that she came to the brink of suicide, but she found God in herself, and she loved her fiercely. The women all hug one another and give the final line of the show. This is for colored girls who have considered suicide, but are moving to the ends of their own rainbows. Mm-hmm. And that last scene, like they all keep saying to each other, I found God and I loved her fiercely. Mm-hmm. I, found I found God, God in myself. God in myself. And I loved her fiercely. And I like that they, they say God's a woman in this, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of woman empowerment. And yeah, it's. So, but am I correct in interpreting that last bit that she was on the brink of suicide and that's when she found? Yeah, that's because that's the bit of, um, that is a bit of the biographical side of it or autobiographical side of it for Ntozake Shange, where, um, you know, she considered suicide and she she was able to move to the end of her own rainbow instead and so it's will you explain to me what moving to the end of your own rainbow is i would say that it's figuring out where on your spectrum of life you are cuz the rain they're all different oh, colors yes cuz they're mm-hmm. they're all they're all different they're all different aspects of the shared experience yes yes and you you still have all of those colors in the rainbow, but they're all there together. They're all there together, and mm-hmm. they're all going in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, this show hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very artistic in mm-hmm. the way that it's done. It, I would say it is unlike any show I've ever seen mm-hmm. in the fact that it is just a bunch of poetry. Um, yeah. With some, you know, more poetry and acting, uh, with some dancing and a mm-hmm. little bit of music. It's, yeah, it's painful. It's mm-hmm. painful because it's pretty much all about pain like yeah even the stories that have some happiness into it in it some positive in it it's still there's still pain you know they Mm -hmm. have either the positive is to mask the pain or the positive is to get over the pain or the positive Mm -hmm. is a precursor to the pain Mm -hmm. and so it's it's a lot of pain yeah it's a heavy show it's a very heavy show but it's a bit of a reflection of the experience is the experience is pain mm-hmm. the the black experience is joy and pain together because yeah that's that's what we've been going through but life is pain highness anyone who says otherwise is selling something i love you i love you <laughs> but yeah huh the next the next show will be a satire. So there there's going to be a lot of tongue in cheek for the next show, but it's it's like they're they're going to be referencing a lot of the shows that we've seen, like this one. They reference uh Soldier's Play, they're going to reference Native Son, they're going to reference Raisin in the Sun, they're going to reference all sorts of stuff, plus some things that you've more watched me go through, like hair troubles and mm. stuff. I mean, it, it, the next one that we're going to be doing is George C. Wolfe's Colored Museum. And I feel that it's a good way to wrap up this Black History Month this year because it's a culmination of all these other shows. This is going to be your History of Black Theater review and also a little bit of what you've seen of the Black experience. Just being around me. <laughs> so anyway um yeah next week we're doing colored museum yay so thank you all so much for listening to this extremely emotional episode of tone deaf <laughs> just a smidge we hope that you enjoyed it um if you'd like to reach out to Kay and I, you can do so at our home base, which is ToneDeafMusical.com. There we have links to all of our social medias, our Facebooks, our, our Twitters, our Instagrams, as well as a link to the Cast Junkie Discord server, where we have our own Not Safe for Work channel, which is surprisingly mild, and you can pop in and say hi, share pictures of your pets, talk about musical theater, or just whatever else. And if you want to help us out with the show... Uh, we really would appreciate some reviews on iTunes, Podchaser, Stitcher, wherever you leave reviews for podcasts. Really helps with the numbers. Uh, don't know why, but it does. Uh, if you want to go above and beyond, you can join our Patreon, which is Tone Deaf Musical, and it's linked on our uh, website. And there you can get access to bonus episodes. You can get your name read on the show. Uh, all sorts of fun tiers there. If you want a more tangible way to say, Kay, Warren, we love what you're doing, go to our Tee Public store. You can get t-shirts, stickers, magnets, masks, masks, please get masks. <laughs> um, and uh, that'll help out the show as well. 
Anyway, I think that'll be it for this episode. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Deaf. I am drained. I am very drained.